right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome into the Just Basketball Show for Friday, May 19th. Chris Manning, Brennan Clean, special guest today, Sabrina Merchant from The Athletic. Sabrina, you are I, the guest I think we're most excited about, but also the first guest we've ever had, and probably the only one who has also appeared on Jeopardy. So for me, this oh, is a big so? deal. <laughs> yeah. For me, as a lifelong Jeopardy person, this is a big deal. This is a really big well, deal I'm, for me. I'm happy to break the streak. Yeah. yeah. This is we need we need like NBA and WNBA like Jeopardy is like a thing as like a TV show on ESPN. It could be like one in the morning, but I feel like we should have that personally. I 100 percent agree. Basketball Jeopardy all the time. Yeah, we got to get someone to spend a, a decent portion of halftime in a rabbit hole on basketball reference of coaching staffs because Jeff Van Gundy got my wheels turning of like his tree and. Tom Thibodeau and, and all the rest. So uh, NBA basketball trivia, I vote yes. In all, just, in all walks of life. There will be things. We need a category, though. It's like Jimmy Butler stories that are true or false. And it's either Paul Bunyan like level. Like we don't know if that's true or not. But Jimmy we'll, Butler we'll or Paul Bunyan. Do. Yeah, just one of those. Yeah, one, one of the two. It's the same thing. It, one, it could be true. It might also just be fake. But I'm, I'm here to make miss about Jimmy Butler. All right, we're going to start with Lakers Nuggets. We're going to get to WNBA burning questions as we get in here. But Nuggets are up 2-0 in the series, 108 to 103. This is, to me, guys, the only thing I can say about this game. The Lakers are not going to win games if Anthony Davis is 4-15 from the field and LeBron James is 9-19 of and looks old. I know like he almost has a triple-double. I know AD is 18-14 and 14 and took 11 free throws. If those guys are 13-33 and 33 and 34 from the field, I, I don't think the Lakers are going to win this series or have a chance to win it. Is that too simplistic? No, I don't think it's too simplistic. Sabrina, this was kind of like a perfect game script for the Lakers, though, right? I mean, low scoring. Yes, those guys didn't shoot well, but neither did the Nuggets' best guys, and they were close late. I'm sorry, are we this talking about like Jamal Murray not steal. shooting well? <laughs> well, for most of the game, they had a golden opportunity there, it feels like. I'm not the one who feels like going down 2-0 is like a, a curse, the end of the world, but right. that did feel like a big one. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a series in the Western Conference each of the last two years. If I'm thinking back further, I'm sure there are more, but there are plenty of series where a team wins the first two games at home and does not win the full series. And I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen here for the Nuggets because they look like the better team. And with this every other day schedule, I don't see how LeBron is going to get more healthy, especially since he appeared to injure the ankle on the same foot that probably needs offseason surgery at the end of the game. And... When you lose both games like this, where one is like two diametrically opposed games in terms of styles, right? And you can't figure out a way to win either. That's a problem. So I don't feel very good about the Lakers going forward. But then again, all they really have to do is just to hold home court in game three and put a little pressure on game four. But the the D-low minutes are probably my least favorite thing that's happening with the Lakers right now. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. It's such a minefield where they're going to get offense. And that was, you know, that's been true all playoffs. But, mm -hmm. you know, it was like sick. Was he six of six, Rui, in the first half or, or something like that? And then makes his first two coming out and then misses his last two, including a mid-range jumper late. Um, and then it was it was Reeves to close the game. But that it feels like their luck 
maybe is running out. I mean, I've been saying all playoffs that Denver just gives you the the, the smallest margin for error of any team, mm-hmm. and you you can't be looking around for answers against the Denver Nuggets because they have them and they're going to score most of the time, you know, which is why I was mentioning, you know, if you can get them down to 108, that's probably the one you want to win. Exactly. Um, but Chris, we were talking about Jamal Murray, who I think is the story of this game in a lot of ways. Uh, people were comparing it to Jason Tatum's game six in Philly with the sort of no, 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 yes quarter breakdown um and and what he did going off and giving mike breen a bang which was just iconic and a a lot more confident than i am in my day-to-day life um but we were talking about him as a championship number two like just the idea of what he is and how unique he is in that type of role i mean i think this denver team if if they keep going the direction they're going will be interesting in a lot of ways because they just don't really stack up to a lot of how we think about basketball teams right now or or ever um but it just continues to be crazy to me to think that this dude with how streaky he can be is potentially going to be a number two player on a you know championship team of a team in the finals that has a real chance to to win the whole thing like that that that's the part of this that Jokic I get that's the part of this that I I can't wrap my mind around. It's like a, a, an even streakier Kyrie Irving. But I think it's because of Jokic that this is possible. Like if Murray was the number two with pick any other star with Book and Phoenix, with LeBron, with Jason Tatum, with Embiid even, I don't think this is happening. I think the way Murray plays and how in sync he has become with Jokic and what those two guys do to build off of each other. I mean, just watching them run the pick and roll and how they just immediately know how to flip it. They know how to just get into a second action right away. It is just like instantaneous with those guys. And it just accentuates what makes Murray a special player that he's willing to shoot, that he's willing to be aggressive. I just think it's it's the contextual bit of he is with Jokic as the number two. If this was with anybody else... We'd be like, he needs to be the number three or or whatever. But it's because he's with Jokic that I think this works. It's kind of like, I guess, Amari Stoudemire, not to make it a Phoenix thing, but it's like that guy at one point was going to be a number two on a legitimate championship team. You would never think that. You never would have been big picture thinking of him as that good, quote unquote, because he was really a liability on defense, didn't have that well-rounded of an offensive game, all things considered. He could score at all levels, but he wasn't going to pass or really like post up or anything like that. And yet there he was, but that was because of Steve Nash. So I hear you. It was cool tonight to see um, how that two-man game, like what, what what part of it or what aspect of it night to night is running on the best running the best for them, whether it's straight up pick and roll, whether it's dribble handoff, or in this case, it was almost like a reverse kind of pin down into a pick and roll where Jokic, it was a dribble handoff, but with Murray like sprinting toward the screen, toward the perimeter, and they got some nice threes and stuff out of that. And it's just so unpredictable. The other thing I think coming out of this game in spring, I want to, I'm curious what you both think about this, but we'll start with you. So 
uh, Seth Part now put a tweet from Matt Moore like on my feed earlier, and Matt, the tweet is the number one, two, four, five, six, seven, nine, and ten defenses from the regular season that are schedule adjusted. So all but two of the top ten defenses are out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like the Nuggets are the perfect team to feel like they're going to win the title in this year because this is the offense team. This is the team where like they just the center is the defensive liability and like they don't like Aaron Gordon is their best version of like an apex swing and and def, wing defender. This team's offensive ceiling is so 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 high in in the way this is breaking. It kind of feels to me like we're headed like the Nuggets feel like the right team for what this moment of the NBA is and Jokic is the right superstar for it. Is that galaxy brain of me is that like where are we at because it's 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 wild to me that we think about defenses win championships and there's only two of the top defenses are left out of the final four teams they're all just gone yeah i kind of think that's more of a fluke than anything just because like we're we're watching the heat play defense now and it looks nothing like what they did during the regular season and <laughs> the champions yeah. last year golden state they were a terrific terrific defense and I know we're about to talk about the WNBA in a little bit. And like, that's definitely a league where the best offenses win titles. I just don't think that that's where the NBA is at this point. Um, I just think that the team quality is generally a little bit weaker this year than we have seen in previous seasons. Like there aren't great, great teams that are, you know, going to give Denver difficulty like the Warriors did last year. So I'm not so sure that it's, offense has taken over and this is an era where great offensive teams can finally, you know, get past their defensive foibles. I think Denver's a good enough defensive team. You know, they clearly just like did not care for the last six weeks of the season. And that probably ruined the numbers a little bit. Yes. But I also think that like, this is not the, the, obviously I'm not saying that there's like any asterisk path to the playoffs or whatever. Like this is a Laker team that has been playing together for three months, right? Whose best player, either Anthony Davis or LeBron James you know, one of them is due for foot surgery and the other one is rumored to be due for another surgery. I haven't quite figured out what that is, but like, (laughs) he's not, he's not great either. I mean, it's a team that regularly relies on three guard lineups and, you know, ball handlers who have never had success in the postseason before. Like it's, it's a perfectly fine team and like they have LeBron and they have AD and it's a decent ceiling. I just don't think that because Denver is getting past them, that it's, you know, this referendum on offense, finally overcoming defense. Want to go to the W, Chris? Yeah. Look, the we last thing to I'll make say, her talk about yeah. the team that just beat her and he, her team in. <laughs> that, that's, the thing that's is, fair. I think the Nuggets are very likable. I was having a yeah. great yeah. time watching Bruce Brown. Like the one time D'Lo blocked him and Bruce Brown clapped at him. Like, yeah, thank you for playing defense. That was the funniest thing that happened all game. <laughs> it was also awesome to watch uh, how happy Michael Porter Jr. was getting during Jamal Murray's explosion like they they seem like they're having fun the, and the, it's their yeah. first time so look they they beat the suns as well I'm, I'm not taking any pleasure in any of this myself but it's hard to hate them yeah and their I, deepest I will, playoff run came in the bubble you know without any fans in front of them and now they get to play these awesome home games in denver crap. and it looks like a great time yeah they they won a they won a game where they kept painting to russell wilson and i was like guys you're cursing the vibes with with <laughs> today winning, was peyton manning so <laughs> Yeah, but much better. But uh, I, I, the last thing we'll say is I do just, Brendan, you pointed this out, and I want to kick the Brooklyn Nets for a second. Um, do you know where I'm going with this that you texted me earlier? You know what I'm about to tell? Yeah, you can earlier. say it. Okay. It's very funny that the, the Nets kind of let Bruce Brown grow because they had Ben Simmons. Just like, <laughs> like, what are we doing, Brooklyn? What are we doing? Oh, boy. 
I can't. Not wrong. I, it's because I said Simmons. it, so that's why I'm saying you're right. You know, but yeah, no, you're right, but it's it's very bleak. All right, let's go to some burning questions, Brendan. I believe you yeah. have a couple. You have a yeah, couple I want to. I want to get Sabrina's picks on a few things before we we really hop into the questions per team. So, I uh, I hope you had it. We gave you the outline. I hope you saw this portion of it, Sabrina. But mm-hmm. this is a year in the WNBA that's going to be defined by the top two teams, and then sort of can anyone else get into the conversation of those two teams? And so. With that said, and we'll talk about those two first, we're going to go in order of title odds, but who is your title pick right now as we embark on this season? So I did make some of these picks on The Athletic already, and I would like to stay consistent just because, um, well, one, I don't want to have people saying that I'm already changing my mind, but just, you know, just for thoroughness, I took the liberty to win the title. Uh, The reason for that is I just have a very hard time believing that Brianna Stewart is going to keep losing in the playoffs. I think we talked about this when the teams kind of, when the dust settled, Chris, in free agency. I I said the Liberty at that time. Did you as well? You're asking me to remember what I said. (laughs) What do you think? Tell me now what what your pick is. I'm going to go with the Liberty, but like, do I feel... Like how confident do I feel in that would be like a five because it's just, but I feel like there are two teams we're going to be picking between the betting Uh odds certainly indicate that as well, that there's a vast gap between there's two super teams and there's a massive drop off, but I I would go to the rule. It's because of Stewie. It's because they have a really good coach. They they've assembled a really good roster. I think we're also just like kind of waiting for some version of a Sabrina, Sabrina Ionescu like breakout. And like maybe her is like the compliment to what Stewie is kind of unlock some things for her in a different way that kind of elevates her. I think that's on the table. They they feel like the team that just has like all the momentum and it's be partially because they got in in her prime. One of the best players of all time. That's just like ready to go. Like that's kind of part of this. All right. Breakout team, Sabrina. Who's the team that maybe obviously isn't going to be in that in that top cluster but even somebody in the bottom half of the league who basketball fans might want to tune into who you think could be better than expected i'm really excited to watch atlanta this year i don't know where any of their interior scoring is going to come from but frankly that's not that interesting to me so they've got a really really good guard group Haley jones is one of my top three favorite players in last year's draft i just absolutely love watching her play and letting her play with some pace in transition God forbid Stanford ever did that. It's going to be so much fun to watch in Atlanta. I love Alicia Gray, Aaron McDonald, Ryan Howard. I mean, they just have a bunch of really active, feisty perimeter defenders, and they're going to get into the paint a lot. I don't know how effective of a scoring team they're going to be, but I think it's going to be really fun to watch, and that's the one I have an eye on. Huge Ryan Howard fan, as I as we'll talk about when we get to uh, the Atlanta Dream section of the team burning questions but i i like that one for sure uh breakout player similar question but maybe if people are more of the let's find a, a player who i enjoy and forget the other four guys or girls yeah. on the court who should uh, who should they be tuning into this w season yeah so i'm not sure if this still counts considering she just swept like every italian league award including you know league mvp finals mvp best import yada 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 but marina mabry uh, she was not an all-star last year, uh, has not been in her WNBA career. 
The sky gave up a buttload of picks to bring her into Chicago. She's arguably the best ball handler and best shooter on the sky. And, you know, there's, there's going to be some, uh, some offense to create there. So I think she's going to have the opportunity to put up a lot of numbers and Chicago is definitely trying to win, you know, for better or worse. Uh, the Isabel Harrison news is a real gut punch. Um, I had originally put Chicago fourth in my preseason rankings and I feel very silly about that now, but I do think Marina is going to have an excellent season and I would pencil her in as an all-star right away. Very fun fit with Kalia Copper too. Uh, just Absolutely. how they balance one another, you know, sort of finesse, shooting, power game, perimeter game, all that A lot stuff. of trash talk. Yeah. A lot of, yep, a lot of trash talk. Uh, that should be awesome as well. All right, let's, uh, let's dive into questions, Chris. So I don't know, Sabrina, if you have your own questions or if you want to bounce off of ours. How do you want to do this? Let's bounce off of yours. Okay. Chris, you, you start us off here in order of uh, BetMGM title odds. All right, so Las Vegas Aces, the defending champs. Uh, they, we should know, we haven't talked about this on the show, but that there is some stuff going on, let's say, with the Las Vegas Aces right now. Um, and they're not exactly representing themselves in a very clear way. So that is a very awkward situation with, with what Becky Hammond said at the time and then what the the suspension has resulted in for her. That is a very weird look. Um, didn't expect Liz that that be, that be the Liz Cambage mentioned first this season. Was that whole saga? But here we are. As a basketball team, I they're at plus one fifteen at Ben and Jim to win the title. That is the best odds. I think the place to start is what does Candace Parker offer this team as they try to defend their title? She's thirty seven. It's a new spot. It's her playing with Asia Wilson and Kelsey Plum and Jackie Young and this team where she's stepping into Derek Amy's minutes and role and roster spot. This also could be the very first team to repeat as NBA champions since 2001-2002. Look, this team has a ton on the table and it's another it's a chance for Candace Parker to just add another layer to her legacy. So how does she fit? How long does it take for her and Asia to kind of find that balance? I'm fascinated to watch what Becky Ham is going to do schematically with those two. Yeah, I mean, I think you can play them high-low together a lot. You know, have Candace feed Asia in the post, have Candace sort of seal and let Asia drive. She's so good at, you know, driving to that strong hand on her left. Um, Asia's even become a pretty decent three-point shooter, so you could theoretically just post-hub Candace and, like, spread the floor around her. Um, Candace ideally should not be shooting as much, but she can still operate, you know, out on the perimeter, even if she's not necessarily guarded there. But I think the thing I'm most excited about with Candace is that she gives the aces another grab and go option. Like mm-hmm. Tierra Hamby, for all of her gifts, not really a decision maker in transition. But Candace Parker, great defensive rebounder, incredible outlet passer, maybe the best ever at her position. And you get the aces running in transition. You get Kelsey Plum running against a compromised defense in transition. Good freaking luck. So just pushing the pace a little bit for the aces, I think, is really the most exciting thing that Candace is going to do because I think. She'll fit in pretty seamlessly defensively. I think De'Erica Hamby's probably still a better wing defender than mm-hmm. Candace Parker is, but you've brought in Alicia Clark. Jackie Young gets better. I don't think it's really like a big miss that they're going to have without having Hamby. Uh, but team defense-wise, I think Candace can be great. And then just, you know, adding that extra transition element is, you know, really the main thing I see her bringing. Mine uh, obviously touches on the new addition of Candace Parker as well, but part of, and it's, always a bummer to have to look at things this way, but part of when you're looking at who's going to last and win the championship 
that this team might struggle with is staying healthy. I mean, Alicia Clark is 35, Candace Parker is 37, even Chelsea Gray is 30, Raquana Williams, they're sort of six oh player God, off the she's bench. She's 30. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, look, uh, yeah, you know. br- yeah, Brendan, what do you have to say? What are you saying about people who are 30? I'm not saying anything. They're all wonderful. Everybody who's over 30 is is a delight to hang out with and has <laughs> never seemed old or looked old or acted <laughs> old in their life. Uh, and then Raquana Williams okay. is 32. Um, so, and, and she was pretty instrumental for them as well. So, you know, not any of those players necessarily have some sort of detrimental recent injury history. Obviously, Alicia Clark had a season missed a little while ago and, and whatnot, but nothing serious. It's just relying on those players as heavily as they probably will. That, that concerns me. So I just sort of had, does their age catch up with them? But again, you're picking nits in literally the favorite to win the championship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Asia's in her prime, Jackie, Kelsey in their primes. Um, did I say Kelsey or Chelsea? I'm not even sure, but Plum is in her prime. Gray is, you know, are. coming off of the greatest playoff run, you know, scoring wise, arguably in WNBA history. So I'm, yeah, I'm not concerned about their core four losing a step. And there is no team, not even New York, that can compete with that four, I think. It would not shock me if they just look way better than everyone for the course of the year. Even even the Liberty who like we've all said we think are gonna win. There's just yeah. there's it just feels like it is already kind of ready made. Even with Candace Parker coming in, like that doesn't feel like it's gonna be a massive adjustment for, for what that team is. Probably some slight yeah, so stuff, the, probably some minor things, but nothing crazy. The regular season wins record in the WNBA is twenty nine wins, but that's in thirty six games. Uh, this year's a 40 game season. I would expect the aces to crush that 29 number. Their over under, I believe is 30 and a half already. Um, but I'm going to keep an eye on the win percentage, I guess, just cause I don't want to you know, say that they just have to be 29, but yeah, I think we're going to be setting some regular season records in Las Vegas, just because of the continuity that they have, the FU attitude already, especially after these investigations, um, there's, there's going to be some quite excellent basketball happening during the regular season. Are you allowed to have an FU mentality if you got investigated for breaking the rules? <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> Apparently, if you don't think you uh, broke the rules. <laughs> Brendan, without saying names, have you seen how certain people in our country act when they get accused of things? Yeah. Uh, yes, I have. I was going to say, uh, instead of no one believes in us, it's going to be no one believes us. It's like the, uh, the, the one word less version of the uh, back against the wall mentality that some teams have. Um, but yeah, they should be fun. They should be a lot of fun. I, I trust that I trust their perimeter shot creation, I think more than than the liberty that's that's one advantage that they definitely have between plum and uh gray and even jackie young and then obviously asia wilson is all all levels of the floor uh is is able to impact um but let's go on to the liberty they're plus 125 to win the championship at bet mgm my question here was how quickly can the defense click because I think that's the advantage that they have over over Vegas. I mean, even last year when when Vegas won the championship, they were a middling defense statistically. You know, they have maybe some lineups that are, are better than others. Obviously, Asia had a, a great individual season, but mm-hmm. I think that the Liberty with Stewie and Jonquil Jones, as well as Kayla Thornton and Benajah Laney, like could just completely extinguish a half court offense depending on who's on the court but all those players have not played together yet. So yeah, that's not a 
as quick of a thing to just click into place, especially because I think defense tends to take longer than offense. So what do you think, Sabrina? Is that something we see mid-season, by the end of the season, or do you feel like it can come into place quicker than that? And so I actually think that the Liberty are going to finish with their best record during the regular season. I think it's going to take some time for them to figure it out. Um, admittedly, third doesn't seem all that low, but when you think about the hierarchy of teams this year, um, third is you know not, I think, where they would expect to be finishing. I think Washington, with all of their continuity, even bringing in a new head coach, the fact that it's still Tebow and he's been on the staff all of these years, I think it's going to be a relatively seamless transition. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think that's going to be like an immediate fix. You know, Salute hasn't played yet. She had a concussion during training camp, just barely joined practice. She was not in either of their preseason games. Stu and John Quell only played in one preseason game. Uh, as far as the defense, I'm very concerned about the perimeter defense. Uh, just Sabrina and Salute together in that backcourt create some openings. Uh, <laughs> I saw Kelsey Plum, you know, in the preseason just abuse Sabrina over and over again. And I think that is exactly the place that opposing teams are going to target when they're playing New York. But, you know, Stewie, uh, you know, cars on the table, I voted for her defensive player of the year last year, uh, just does so many things on the court. Like her length is overwhelming and just unassuming sometimes because her arms are just so much longer than you'd expect them to be. I mean, just for NBA fans, uh, she has the same dimensions as Taylor Horton Tucker and just think about how lanky he looks. So she just gets everywhere on the court. And now that she has a veritable rim protector behind her and John Quill Jones, who can take those burlier center matchups, who can actually, you know, do things against Asia Wilson or, you know, the other centers that they're going to have to come up against. I think they have a great foundation for that front court defense, but I am still very concerned about how that backcourt is going to look. And Sandy is going to have to, you know, come up with some creative ideas on how to hide Sloot and Sab because, you know, especially against a team with the perimeter scoring power of the aces, like, concessions are going to have to be made. Where are we at with, with Sabrina? Do you guys think she just signed this contract to country through 2025? Mm-hmm. I think obviously part of the idea of bringing Stewie is being like, we already have Sabrina here. We already have this triple double machine, an up and coming star. We'll go get other pieces. You know, we hate, we're, we're going to spend a bunch of money as we need to for that kind of team. But where are we at with Sabrina as she is, such a key piece, I think, in them realizing the chance that the, their title odds. Like, I mean, you, you, she has to, I think, be like another level this year. I think if they're, if these odds are going to have them that close to Vegas, I think she has mm-hmm. to have like something of a breakout year. Really, it feels like. It's- yeah, I think I think what we learned last year is that Sabrina gets overtaxed when she's on the ball all the time, and that's why you bring in a player like Courtney Vandersloot. That's why you have Marine Johannes coming off the bench who can run the offense. That's why you have players like Stewie and John Quill Jones who can create their own shots. Even Benajah Laney, who can theoretically create her own shot, although I think that is the least exciting option on the starting five that New York is running. Um, so I, I do believe that she is going to have to have a very efficient season, right? All of her shots should be very, very uncontested considering the other threats that are on the court and the fact that, you know, one of the greatest point guards in WNBA history is feeding her the ball. So I think that's what I'm really looking for for Sabrina is lower usage, being willing to come off the ball, being willing to you know, do things off the ball, not just stand in the corner or stand on the wing and wait for the action to proceed, like actually running off of screens, actually flying off handoffs and things like that. Turning yourself into more of an off-ball player and complimenting the stars because she's not the best player on this team. She's not even the second best player on this team. But she has to be as, you know, dangerous of a marksman as she possibly can considering all the other options that are there. Do you think there's any games 
maybe come playoff time, like, do you think it's a realistic possibility that one of those two guards is not on the court to close the game? Or is that like third rail, they're too talented and you can't compromise that? That's an interesting question. I mean, we haven't seen them play together yet, so I'm hesitating sure. to split them up just now. But <laughs> yes, I mean, but for the concerns you, see, you brought up defensively, yeah, it's on I could mind. see a guard, you know, one of them plus Thornton, Laney, Stewie, John Quell, and like then you have this super wingy, rangy lineup that could cause a lot of trouble. I could definitely see that as a, you know, just additional pitch during the fourth quarter. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm more excited to watch them play together right now. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right. Uh, All right. Washington Let's Mystics. Move on. Yeah, plus 1,400. Those are good odds. I thought that going into the playoffs last year, I will not lie, I, I put some some money on the Mystics in the series that they lost. So I, I'm done being that confident, but I love this team. Um, Chris, go first for us. So I, I go to, I'm going with Elena Deladon. Just She's saying she's going to play the whole season. A does that hold, mm-hmm. and B is that is that like on like we, is it going to happen? Like you know, does she see the the Elena Deladon of can she play the whole season? And is that enough to put them like if she is at her best and mm-hmm. is healthy the whole year? Does that is that on its own enough to put them in the title race as the third team in the title race? I think it's possible. She's that good. The rest of that roster I really like. I don't have a ton of questions about the coaching transition just because like that's someone that was already in house that like, like right. it's not like you brought in someone from outside. Like you kind of know that's her. Yes. It's a first year coach, but like, it's kind of a very unique situation in that sense. It's to me, yeah. it's all about, and you don't have to deal Elaine's with the awkwardness of like firing the head coach yeah. either. Right. He just stepped aside. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, Oh, he's still here. And like, it's the guy's dad. So it's just like, you know, like it's, it's all literally the family here. So if she's healthy all year and plays, I, I think this team should be really poised to, be awesome and maybe have a a run at the title depending on how things break what i really want to see this season is an aces mystics playoff series i feel like that's what we were denied last year and even though aces storm was obviously incredible like i'm not saying that i did not enjoy any part of that series but there's something about what the mystics do that they have three devastating perimeter defenders now it's not alicia clark it is Brittany sykes instead of her but they were really able to put pressure on Las Vegas last year and just snuff out bits of their offense in a way that no other team was able to. And their defense far and away the best in the league last year. Like it was just so impressive to watch. Um, Kind of susceptible to like really quick guards at the point of attack, but that's not really how Chelsea Gray operates. It's more of a problem with Kelsey Plum, but like with that perimeter trio, which Kira Austin, I love that defense so much. The problem as we learned last year, was they just couldn't score enough points. And that really comes down to, well, Elena Deladon, maybe the best singular offensive player of the last 10 years in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Like if she's playing 36 out of 40 games, this is a top three offense. She's that good. Um, I would say that she's probably, you know, got to be like an early front runner for MVP just because you'd imagine some of those Liberty Aces are going to cannibalize some votes. And if she plays enough games, it's a good story too. Um, I mean, she just makes things so much easier for the players around her. Like she's can score from any place on the court. She's a triple threat basically in any situation. Uh, she can get her shot off against like really tall defenders too, because of how high her release is. Um, and like surprisingly good passer, like that we never talk about, like because she draws so much attention and manages to create openings for the rest of her team. I really do believe that if we get a fully healthy Elena Deladon season, like 
we're going to be talking about those three teams together, the Mystics, the Liberty, and the Aces. Maybe more so the Mystics and the Liberty and then the Aces, but I think that the Mystics have a lot of regular season potential, especially because of that continuity. When we get to the playoffs, it's going to be a lot about matchups because like, I love Elena Deladon. She's not guarding Stewie. It's just not happening. Um, you can't have her and, no. you know, <laughs> Shakira Austin <laughs> taking care of Stewie and John Quill Jones. So if they could somehow finagle it that they play Las Vegas before New York, I actually really like that matchup for them. But, you know, that's not how I predicted it. I predicted Washington to finish second in the regular season standing. So we'll see how that goes. How good do you think Shakira Austin can be this year? I I, I wanted to put... It like could she be an all star? Hmm. But yeah, that's that a felt really good question. Potentially aggressive, but like she was so good, and you know we tend to see development kind of jump in the yeah. W with how weird player development can be. Yeah, totally. So Washington, great place for player development. First of all, I think she's in a fantastic position to get better. Um, I don't think that's an aggressive question. Uh, <laughs> As one of the 57 Rookie of the Year voters last year, I was one of the two who picked Shakira Austin. So I feel very strongly about how important she was to winning last year. Just really smart defensively, makes so many smart movements on offense. Like she never stays in one place. She's always relocating to get the spacing right on offense, which I think is so hard to do as a rookie, especially considering she played in the SEC for a couple of years where like Yes, he has a lot of gifts when it comes to a college basketball conference. Offensive spacing, not really one of them. So for Shakira Austin to look that good as a rookie, you know, she played in USA basketball camp. was really impressive there. Had a nice overseas season. I think All-Star is not off the table, truly. Like if she puts up some high-level rebounding numbers, just gets a bunch of dump-offs, you know, from all of the dribble penetration that's going to be happening from Errol Atkins and Sykes, uh, you know, cleans up just some of that stuff. She could be averaging you know, 12 and eight and anchoring the best defense in the league. That could be an all-star. Chris, we haven't really talked W yet on the podcast yeah. since free agency, but uh, I'm a, I'm a mystics stand. So you're going to have to get used to that. That that's fine. I, um, I am playing, I'm going, so I'm going to DC for something else in late July. And when I'm there on my list of things to buy, I'll be buying something mystics. I don't need, you know, Nationals gear. I don't need Commander's gear. Why would you need Nationals gear? That's, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, the, I, I think Shakira Austin gear is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. I'm going to find... Obviously. Yeah. yeah well, I, I feel like I'm going to get Shakira Austin and then maybe send Brendan something in the mail is what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm also going to buy him something Chelsea because I'm seeing Chelsea football complain. I'm going to send mm. him something Chelsea that I find, which is depressing for him personally because he was for, yeah, he was for it's, Chelsea. it's like one of those gifts that actually just ends up making you a little more upset than you were before you got <laughs> i got a college graduation present that was a shirt in celtic green that said i hate kobe and i didn't really know what to do with it because i adore the person who gave it to me but <laughs> <laughs> i've I, never managed I, to throw it out <laughs> i feel i feel like you may be i feel like that person um wow that's i that's amazing to be and honest. It has an exclamation point with like a, a four leaf clover as the dot on the exclamation <laughs> oh point. Oh my god. Really goes for it. But anyway, who's number four? <laughs> yeah, so, Chris. So we only have a, a little the, bit of time left. Do you want to go through the yeah. top six maybe? Um and, and speed yeah. way, well, speed I, our way through four through six here. So can I be honest with you? I actually there's 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 a couple teams that I wanna that I feel like we can skip because there's actually I wanna talk I feel like I wanna talk about the storm. And okay, I want to okay. talk about the Sparks, who are lower down. They're actually near both very near the bottom, but there's transition. But I'm, let's run through the odds. 
The Phoenix Mercury plus two thousand are next. Yeah. To be honest with you, those those that feels <laughs> um that feels optimistic to me. I and look on a very human level, Brittany Grinder's been through a lot. I, I don't know what we can like I just don't know what that is gonna look like. I have no idea. I don't think anyone can reasonably say. Diana Taurasi is is the goat, but she's about to turn forty one. I, I don't know what I don't know what is what is going on here exactly. Okay. Connecticut yeah. Sun plus thirty five hundred. First year post Kurt Miller, transition year. Chicago Sky, we talked with them a little bit, plus four thousand. Seem like they're just saying F a rebuild, let's just win some games. Good for them. I, I they don't have their pick anyway, so why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who needs who needs picks? Uh we had Ricky O'Donnell on a while ago, and before we started recording, one of the things he said was he was really mad that they won't have a pick probably the year Caitlin Clark comes out, and he was just like, mm-hmm. We just like, you know, you won and everything, but like tough look to maybe not be at able to take for Caitlin Clark. Yeah. At what cost? <laughs> not getting and Clark. Minnesota Lynx plus 4,000. Uh, Diamond Miller, Collier. Collier's back. That's a really big deal. Top 15 player. Another person that I will talk more about than you probably would like me to. Love, love Fee. Yeah, she's amazing. Great to have her back. Atlanta Dream. We talked about them a little bit. Shout out to Haley Jones. Ryan Howard back. Maybe playoff team plus 4,500. The Dallas Wings also plus 4,500. Kind of bullish on this group, if I'm being honest. Arike, Howard, McCowan. If Satu can be healthy, I think there's some oh, upside to that group. If Satu can be healthy is just the line of the season. <laughs> the line of Look, the last season. I saw, I, I saw that now. on there, Chris, and I was like, you and me both. I, but, uh, I, I, you, I you want me and good, everyone who works for the Dallas Wings, I think. I, I want good things in the world. I'm putting I'm putting it out there. We're getting we're getting healthy. All right, let's go. Here's the Seattle Storm. Plus five thousand. This is a whole new Seattle Storm era, folks. This is Jewel Lloyd's team now? As he's team, I, there's no Sue Bird. Stewie's gone. This is just going to be something we have never seen from this team before. They're not going to win the title. Like, they're not. I don't know if this isn't even for like a playoff team. But I, I, I'm always fascinated to see how teams transition out of this, particularly a team that has been as good and as relevant and competitive for as long as they have with the level of star that they've had. And Julie's great, but she's not at the level of Stewie or like Prime Sue Bird. What does this look like now? I think it's such a fascinating question to see how they adjust to, to this reality and this version of the franchise. So one of my favorite things to do during the WNBA training camp season is complain about how each team is keeping five bigs on their roster. It's really like one of my very favorite pastimes. Uh, I don't know why they all need five bigs. <laughs> but Seattle has done something very interesting. They only have three bigs on their roster. Good. And one of them is a third round rookie who played at South Florida last year, whose name, unfortunately, I have a very difficult time pronouncing. Um, Dulcie is her first name. That's what we're going to go with. So not investing I'm, a lot of resources. I think you made in the their right front decision court. not trying yeah. on that one. Not investing a lot of resources in the front court. I love Ezie Magbubor. I love Mercedes Russell. Either of them needs a rest. It's going to look very weird in Seattle. And I do think that I'm glad that they've invested so much or I shouldn't say invested, but they're putting so much in the hands of their rookies, right? Like they've got mm-hmm. Jordan Horston. Um, I think they waved Maddie Williams, but they've got a lot of young players, a lot of second draft type players with Relic Garantes, Kyla Charles, you know, um, just uh, Jade Melbourne, you know, Ivana Jokic, like just players. So we don't know what they can do because either they haven't played in the WNBA or haven't really had minutes in the WNBA, but you know, this is, this is their chance to just like throw some shit at the wall and see what sticks. I do wish that they had given me like, one spacing big just to help all these people get to the paint because none of those guards that I just mentioned really have great jumpers. 
And I think they do better when they have spacing centers. So if they had just like thought about, you know, a Jasmine Walker, who I realize not a great, great basketball player by any stretch of the imagination, but a three-point shooter, a power forward, or like Teresa Plaisance, who is a theoretical spacer at the very least. She still gets guarded like a shooter, you know, will stand behind the three-point line. Again, give your guard some space to get to the rim. I just keep thinking about Jordan Horston in college and how different it looked when she was playing next to Tamari Key and could not finish a damn thing at the rim versus when she had like Caroline Striplin as her center. And all of a sudden, like these wide open lanes are available and she looks like a potential, you know, lottery pick. Obviously she falls to number nine in Seattle, but uh, this is a lot of analysis, I think, for a team that I think is going to finish 12th in the WNBA regular season this year. But I, I'm, that, That's fine. This is my fault. Like if, if you want no, a wild... It's <laughs> I'm it's, fascinated it's, by it's the roster bad. construction. Yeah. Look, I think so. Anna, my question was along the lines of the bigs. Mm-hmm. You had an interesting note in the preseason power rankings you did about what Ezzy does next to Mercedes Russell after mm-hmm. having maybe her best season with Russell missing a lot of time. What right. do you think? What do you think? What do you what do you think yeah. Ezzy can do? Do you think we see her? expand her shooting range more do you think it's just a great defensive duo but eventually they move on from one of them offensively because the offensive fit isn't good enough because that's probably the thing that i'm going to be keyed into the most aside from just jewel doing jewel things on yeah her own. yeah yeah that, that's a really good question um i imagine we're going to see a lot of high post action for mercedes russell uh so that leaves a little bit more room in the lane for ezzy i do think that they're going to try to expand Ezzy's range out to three-point land um she kind of experimented with that last year but you know this is the year to try everything in Seattle right like any skill that you want to try to develop this is the time to do it because not a lot of talent on the team and oh boy the next draft is going to look good (laughs) so just keep trying um but yeah I I think this is the like you have to play them together because one we mentioned there's the one backup big but two you just need to see what you have for the future right like they're both really good players I'm a big fan of both of them but I don't know what they look like together. I don't think that the offensive fit is going to be all that seamless because like I mentioned, not a lot of spacing around this group either. Like Kia Nurse, theoretical shooter, you know, Sammy Whitcomb, I guess she's like the lone girl spot up shooter on this roster. But then Jewel Lloyd, I kind of mentioned this, you know, in something I wrote earlier, her efficiency was outright terrible the year that Stewie and Suber didn't play in 2019 when she was the number one option. And that was a more talented Seattle team than what we're seeing now. So those are like my two main questions is what do Ezzy and Mercedes look like next to each other? And then can Jewel actually carry an offense or is she, you know, destined to be that number two, number three role? Yeah. Ezzy's a good free throw shooter and she always has been. So I'm optimistic. Uh, another player that I believe in to my core and we'll see what happens, but I I'll be her. watching a lot of Seattle. I can guarantee. <laughs> yeah. 34.5% on threes for Ezzy last year. One about little under one a game. Maybe just for fun, two and a half a game this year, just to see why not. Like, what's the harm? I like it. You know, I like it. Somebody's got to shoot harm? them. Ezzy and Sammy, let's do it. Just let them let them fly. You're doing your team. Is, if they don't go in, you're helping your team get better players. I don't think you'd be a very good player development coach, Chris. <laughs> hey, if you mess this up, that'll actually be better for us. So keep doing you know it. Who, you know who? You know who? I who? What team would take my advice though, and seemingly has that? Like I would be like, do that. The Houston Rockets that like, kind of operate that way. If you really think about it, they have. Yeah, because we love the Rockets player development right now. Just yeah. I'm yeah just how, really how is that going? They, they they leaked out that they might <laughs> trade their former, uh, you know, top three picks. So yeah, just to give James Harden lots of money, so, so he can. 
Yeah, look, I'm. I, I didn't say that I was. I'm just saying someone would take this approach, and it's Tillman Fertitta, apparently. You can talk to him just, about a job then. I did see him at summer league once, like looking at restaurants, and I was like, Tillman, why are you in this casino? Don't you art like it was very weird. Just buy WNBA team. Told me you don't need a restaurant. Just let's get a WNBA team in Houston. Seems like it would be a good market for it. All right, last team uh, we're gonna have on the Los Angeles Sparks. Kurt Miller is there. They have the Guma case. They're out of the Derek Fisher era. Like, thank the good like, Lord. They can be cleansed. Like, they can transition to something new and healthy and like something. Kurt Miller's a great coach. Uh, this obviously just feels like one of those like markets that at some point, like, it's just gonna like people like to be in LA. Like, I would believe that this will figure itself out at some point. But like, this team is the odds, does the odds suggest like the only team with worse odds is the Indiana Fever, who are like horrendous. Mm-hmm. Didn't have been around, even though they have a lead boss and the, the team is bad. This just, I'm very curious to see like what the foundation laid with this team is like this. They're, this is just, you you get a reset here. You went and got a new coach. Who's like an actual good coach and you mm-hmm. still have your franchise pillars. What do you do with that? And where do you get to? I I'm, I'm really curious to see kind of what they set up here to maybe do in the future and, and maybe bring in one of the highly touted prospects that could be in 2024. Like this seems like one of the prime landing spots if things go right here. They get someone at 2024, you kind of get rolling there, but we have to see how this year goes, obviously. Yeah, so I just want to do a quick audit of the Derek Fisher era, just real quick. Um, first round pick in the 2019 draft, Kalani Brown out of the league. Uh, second round pick in the 2019 draft, Marina Mabry, they traded her away for a second round pick so they could clear cap room to sign Simone Augustus because that went very well. Um, 2020, they drafted Beatrice Mom Premier in the second round. I don't believe she's still in the league. 2021, they drafted uh, Jasmine Walker and Stephanie Watts in the first round. Both of those players are out of the league. They also traded a 2022 first round pick for the rights to select Jasmine Walker. That picker be- that pick became Emily Angsler, but of course she's also out of the league. And 2022, they drafted Ray Burrell in the first round. She is, you guessed it, out of the league. So this is the collection of young talent that the Sparks are working with. This is the backbone that we have. No first round picks from the Derek Fisher era. Luckily, they have Zaya Cook from the season. Thank the good Lord. Uh, I actually liked the Sparks offseason plan quite a bit, which was to yeah, get some, you know, wingish shooters to surround like their, their bigs, which I think is a strength of this team. Alas, Katie Lou Samuelson will miss the entire season. Stephanie Talbot tore her ACL and is going to miss the entire season. So that plan kind of backfired. Now we have this three guard starting lineup of Jordan Canada, Alicia Clarendon and Lexi Brown starting things off, which yep, not a wing in that roster. So I think we're going to get a Kurt Miller special of a lot of three big units. This is one team where I kind of understand why they were carrying five bigs, especially because Derek Hamby is returning, returning from maternity leave. Azrae Stevens, who quietly one of the most surprising free agency signings, I think, of the entire offseason because she had her pick of the litter and decided to come to L.A. Like that is the clearest indicator of this being a market and a franchise that people want to come to, which has just not been the case for the last four years. Um, but she, you know, suffered an injury in Europe. She won't be playing to start the season. so. You know, we're going to see some joiner homes, like wing forward lineups. We're going to see a lot of Chinegu McKay, NECA, and Derek Hamby playing together. A lot of Leisha Clarendon, Carly Samuelson, small forward type situations. Uh, I have a smile on my face. I don't really believe it. But Kurt Miller is a very good coach. I think just having a competent basketball mind is such a huge upgrade over what that, was happening the last four years. That It's that, like I can't overstate it. it. 
you know? No, that, and then it, not it, only competent, he's a good basketball coach, like a very good basketball yeah. coach. No, look, I just don't so see the I, talent here yet. Like they have nine healthy yeah. players right now and maybe Zaya Cook like pops really early. But like there's a lot of guards who can't really shoot and there's a lot of bigs on the roster and I don't know how that meshes with one another. <laughs> so look, we will I, see. I, I want... I went and Googled Derek Fisher like real quick when you started giving the audit and I was just like reading his like wiki and his basketball coaching journey. And it's, it's insane. It's insane. The fact that they just like hired someone who's like actually a professional coach who's like worked in the league and knows what they're doing and like has like strong ideas and opinions about like how to like organize a basketball team. IMO, that's a good thing for for the, for the sparks. That, that I actually that's missed a good thing. the biggest parts of the audit now that I think about it. Can I just oh like boy. recap? Yeah, of course. Quick? Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so More Fisher daggers. stakes his reputation on signing Liz Cambage prior to his last season, <laughs> which uh, we all <sighs> saw how that turned out. Uh, another Liz Cambage reference on this podcast. Very happy to have make that happen. Um, good, good for he Liz. Also trades a future first round pick uh, to dump Erica Wheeler's salary. Erica Wheeler, who's perfectly likable veteran, adequately paid, I think. And bring in Kennedy Carter, who everyone on the team hates so much, but he guarantees her fourth year option. And now because of that, the Sparks can't afford to pay 12 players this year because they're still paying Kennedy Carter not to play for them. Really good yeah. job, Derek Fisher. Hope It'd be one thing if he messed up a bunch him. of GM stuff and and was just like really a great tactician, but it was mm-hmm. it was it was neither, unfortunately. Neither. Did we mention that he benched Candace Parker in the fourth quarter of an elimination playoff game? That happened. Yeah, that happened. It did happen. Look, this the the weather in LA is great. <laughs> they really have good Kurt jerseys. Now. Really good oh, jerseys. I do love the jerseys. Yes. Really good jerseys. You have at least like you have like p- p- players on that team people know and care about in the Guma case. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, you don't have Derek Fisher anymore. I this is just like a team that feels like primed to just like let's just like you put some new flooring down this year. <laughs> Make sure the foundation of the house is set up, and it's like you're off and running in a year. This feel that that's what this feels like to me. And like that, they own their 2024 pick. They've got an extra one coming in. Like, yeah, things are looking up. And and if and if Zaya Cook pops, you have like at the very least, like you get you take a flyer on that. And if it doesn't work, okay. But if it does, you have something right there, and then you can maybe you're in the position to to. To get one of these other like Uber Uber stars next year, year from now, um, they are not going to win the title. They're going to be really bad. But I just, I, they just as a transition kind of thing, just like moving from Derek Fisher to Kurt Miller is just like such a significant upgrade. That is just like yeah. I'm just like that that you you did the thing, you did the right thing, and like not hiring like a really bad coach. It's like when T NBA teams like it's like I could say this because I cover the Cavs. Mm-hmm. They, when they went, we're like, hey, it's like we went David Blatt to Ty Lue. It's like, oh, yeah. Turns out the competent head coach who like has ideas about how to like organize things and design plays and like the players don't hate. Mm-hmm. Maybe that maybe that guy should be the head coach, should have been the head coach all along. I don't know. I will say the Sparks are going to be involved in some very high profile games to start the season. Uh, they open on Friday against Phoenix in Brittany Griner's first game back. And then they play next Saturday in Las Vegas on the Aces ring night, which happens to be when Becky Hammond comes back from her two-game suspension. So, hello, mm-hmm. Dierica Hamby. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> no drama boy. there, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, she has um, to be there to get her ring, obviously. Well, that's true. I get, I get that. But, um, <laughs> that's funny. 
Oh, boy. All right. Well, that's the our WNBA questions for all these teams. Sabrina, thank you so much for coming through, talking about the Lakers. I'm sorry they lost for, for your sake. And but that's how we got right past it in the show. It's like I had the Cavs. Brendan had the Suns. It's just, it's just I think, how this goes, you know? It's yeah, tough. We can't, we can't bring any. We had a Nuggets person on earlier in the season. That That's over. Unbearable. Yep. Back. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much hey. for coming on. Just, yeah. Yeah, just I'm very excited for the have... WNBA season to start. So, yeah. Yeah. Just tell everyone what you guys are doing over the athletic as we get out of here. Yeah. So we have a special series going on during this WNBA season at the athletic called Super Squads that is profiling the Aces and the Liberty, just how they built their teams and how they're bringing the rest of the league along with them as they, you know, sort of pioneer a new model of ownership in the W. And so you can look for stuff about the Aces and the Liberty every week on the athletic in addition to all of our other WNBA happenings. So keep an eye out. Thanks again to Sabrina Merchant from The Athletic for talking Lakers Warriors with us, talking WNBA with us. Brendan, let's move on to Heat Celtics. Miami did it. They (laughs) won game one. Here we go. Here we go again. Again. Jimmy Butler's has 35 and 7. Every starter except Kevin Love's in double figures. Kyle Lowry's out here looking like Miami Kyle Lowry in his 20 minutes off the bench was 15 and 3 and 6 to 12 and 3 of 5 from 3. And then on the other side, Brendan, I, I, this is really where I want to start. Okay. I was, I was like ready to say, I think we've seen the Jason Tatum breakthrough. I was there. Hmm. Game six, he has that horrendous start and he comes up clutch and helps win that game to extend the series. They get to game seven. He plays, he's the best player on the floor, he's attacking Embiid, playing decisively, like a real playoff solidifying performance. And then in this game, he is he does have 30, but like is barely shooting down the stretch, has three travels in big moments, and just has one assist and like I don't understand like what that performance was for him coming off of these two like real bona fide playoff awesome places to start. So I, I, where, I don't know if you want to start Miami. I don't know if you want to start with Tatum and what Boston and what went wrong there. But I was struck by how Miami just shows up ready to go and Jimmy at the spearhead of that and Tatum look like a completely different player than the guy we saw in game seven. Well, Tatum's just 19, so he still has a way to go, right? <laughs> um, how, I, think how, this, I, I think this is just who gonna... he is. I mean, at least for right now, you know, because like, wouldn't you have said the same thing last year after game six in Milwaukee? 46 points, seven of 15 from deep yeah. and winning a road game six with, with, the backs, with their backs against the walls against Giannis. I mean, that felt like a turning point. And then, you know, he was... Fine, I think you would say in the Eastern Conference Finals, probably pretty great, you know, against these Heat. He had a couple duds, but but pretty good. And then in the finals, inconsistent, not very efficient. And and now we, you know, head into the summer with some questions about him. And then okay, now it's really when he turned the page. It's like I think that inconsistency is is sort of just what the package of Jason Tatum is right now. And maybe by the time he turns 20, things will be different. But for right now at age 19, that's just who he is. Uh, but maybe, no, in maybe, reality, maybe, like, maybe, maybe when he can have, have a beer, you know, he yeah. can go to order, a, have a, have a, 
have a beer when or a can, drink. Uh, be like be like Luca and have the victory beer. When he can, uh, that, when, when he can be like, IPA. Well, or when he can be like more, I think more aptly for the series when he can can like Jimmy Butler be in Michelob Ultra commercials. <laughs> exactly, uh, but I mean, really, like he is only twenty five, right? And like, I don't know how much you factor that in. I, you like literally you versus also just anyone watching and in, in the general NBA public, I guess when you've been around for so long in these playoff moments, you just get more as expected out of you. But I think inconsistency for a 25-year-old is pretty reasonable, all things considered. It's just, I think the thing that 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 jumps out, and honestly, like I think we could even just focus on this third quarter and, and cover most of what happened in this game through it and just what's going to continue to happen because it was quintessential Miami Heat and quintessential Boston Celtics in this third quarter. And I, I think from the Celtics standpoint and, and Tatum, it's exactly who showed up in my notes the most. Uh, Marcus Smart took six field goal attempts, took six shots in this third quarter. It might've even been seven. He was two of six, maybe two of seven, went one of two at the free throw line, had a couple assists, a couple nice passes, also a couple turnovers. Jalen Brown had uh, some Jalen Brown moments, and I mean that in in the good and bad ways. The hand might continue to bother him, but Jason Tatum didn't get his first points in the third quarter as Miami was tying the game, then taking the lead, then taking control. He didn't score until the four-minute mark of that third quarter as Joe Missoula's not calling a timeout and the Heat are just laying it on. Um, that, that just encapsulated like everything going on in this series to me that the lead was slipping away while Boston seemed to not have a plan on offense and Miami just looked like a well-oiled machine that they have been for this whole postseason and honestly, you know, for almost two decades at this point. I think the Heat also just, like, deserve credit for continuing what is going on here. Well, they got a win. Does that count as credit? Yeah, but I, I, it's just like, I think Jimmy Butler is having like just a, a playoff that we should be talking about beyond these playoffs. Like it is just astounding how well he has played these entire playoffs and done so many different things and taken on all these different roles, playing 43 minutes in this game. And they have an edge all the time, right? Like they just do. You know, like, Co- like they're, they're getting like Cody Zeller coming in and playing nine minutes just to set screens and it's just like they're humming along and, and winning game ones on the road. And it's like there are clear advantages like they have in this series. I think one of the beauties of this NBA and what has made these playoffs chaotic at times in a fun way is that the Heat have like this big coaching advantage and Jimmy's playing at this level and it's like you can't really count them out of any of this, you know? And like the mentality of that team with what Jimmy's saying about, you know, like, yeah, we thought we could do this when we were struggling against the Bulls. Like, of course, like there's never any doubt in this group that they're going to accomplish something and Boston is kind of like in some ways the right team with Tatum as it started the way he plays right now and Jalen Brown thing after the game it's like we came out a little cool and it's like uh Matt Moore was like well it's not like this has ever happened before and surely it won't happen again it's like this is gonna happen again yeah like you game game four could be like this game five could be like this god god help Boston Celtics and their their the health of their fans and be able to, to survive that like could happen in game seven yeah you know, like th- this just feels like a very like weird part of the series that it's like beyond the X's and O's, beyond like what we think of these guys. It's just like there's these two teams are like wired differently. Like they just kind of are. And I know he cultures like make fun of it. It's like this 
this whole shit, this whole playoffs run, Brendan, is like proof that that this organization is like actually built differently. It just is. Like I am just there with it. Like I, <laughs> I, I, the proof is in the pudding with this now. It just is. Yeah, with with Jimmy, I think, and, and Lowry, who you mentioned at the beginning, um, both of those guys, I think, uh, to to circle back to that third quarter, which was forty six twenty five, um, that just to me, it, those two and the way that they alternated. Well, really, it started with Bam at the beginning. They were going right at Robert Williams, who that's an interesting question uh, looking forward, which maybe we can do to close this part of the show out. Um, mm-hmm. He was a minus 14, and Bam got a couple buckets on him. Jimmy got a couple buckets on him in the in the early part of that third quarter. Then uh, Jimmy has the ball in his hands the minute that Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown go out. Uh, they're, they're really yep. hitting transition stuff for a while there when they take the lead. Then Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown hit the bench, the ball goes right into Jimmy's hands. He starts going into drive and kick mode. They get some good stuff out of that. Then the Celtics put Jason Tatum onto Jimmy Butler. Immediately the Heat go to the ball in Lowry's hands. We're going to run the, a pick and roll with uh, Lowry and Cody Zeller to attack Horford and to attack Peyton Pritchard, who are the weakest defenders on the court. They get some good stuff out of that. A, a Lowry We're mid-range gonna- jumper, a Max Struess corner three. And it's just the effortless way that they're able to alternate between what they're attacking and who is controlling the offense fr- from the Heat side without feeling like they're missing a beat, without looking scrambled, without looking uncertain in any way, shape, or form is is huge. And it it kind of illustrates exactly that mentality difference is one part of this, but it's also a, a sort of philosophy difference in terms of scheme and stuff too because offensively, the Celtics, we talked about the random offenses a couple weeks ago on the show and like, I think some of that maybe again, like I said before, bad branding, bad PR for calling your offense random. It makes it seem like no one has any idea what they're doing out there. But when you see as this run is happening, Al Horford taking multiple transition, you know, uh, trailing threes and Marcus Smart taking over, like I mentioned, with six shot attempts before Tatum takes a, cer- a single one. That is all stuff that is the exact opposite of how the Heat were approaching that moment. And that's why the Heat come out with a lead. And then late, yeah, you mentioned Tatum's mistakes, the travels, everything else. Brown had a couple turnovers at the end of the game as well. You can focus on that, but it's like the lead should have never even gotten up. They they were really dominant in the first half, and it's just like this exact type of stuff that gets in their way where they're they're going to lose focus. They're going to lose concentration and, and not attack what needs to be attacked, and the Heat are never going to let up on that stuff. Two other, two last things. I think the ten Robert Williams, uh, you know, was six to six from the field, but I thought a very poor defensive performance gave Jimmy a ton of space on the switches. Just, just got absolutely beat up. He has to be better. He has to play with a lot more force and aggression. And some of the old Robert Williams, like whatever he was last year, more than I think he's been for much of this year. If he's going to make a difference in the series, particularly if he has to spend time guarding Bam, because Bam is just gonna like show up and kick ass. Um, do you think they try Grant Williams in the so next this game? Is where I wanted, this he, he come, is this yeah. is where I wanted to go. Why the fuck was Peyton Pritchard playing in this game, Brendan? I do not understand. Like, I, I don't understand this. Peyton Pritchard is like a fine player. I think he could have roles in other teams. He, You are like inviting him getting attacked. 
in yeah. real ways. And it's like, I, I just, he's not going to hold up. You're not getting using him to his all. You didn't use him to his offensive capabilities as a shooter in a, in a energy guy. Right. He's just kind of there for cardio. And it's like, if you're going to have a guy do that and be there to maybe ca- take two shots and maybe get a couple looks in 12 minutes, why not play Grant Williams? Like, why well, not play Sam Hauser? I don't think it's one or the other, though, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. You could easily play both guys. I just, to me, I, I, I hear you. I think not getting him involved offensively, you know, you're not going to run sets for him, but the fact that he wasn't able to well, make an impact on that side, ba- I think is... is ba- a- Boston doesn't really run sets either is the thing. Boston's offense well, is a little sure. bit just like, yeah. So then I don't know if you can necessarily like blame any particular person for saying Peyton Pritchard didn't impact the game offensively. Um, you're not going to put the ball in his hands. You're not going to run a set for him. Then, okay, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah sometimes it is just going to be cardio. But I, I hear that. I guess to me, it, it feels like they maybe underestimated what Jimmy was going to do to try to pick on that matchup or the fact that Kyle Lowry was going to be able to exploit it also, which you mentioned it was Toronto Kyle Lowry. So it's like, even you were surprised. I guess you can give the Boston staff a little bit of slack for also being <laughs> do, surprised. Do we, do we think the heater surprised? Like, honestly, like, do we think the heater just like know that they're going to have this at some point? Cause it feels like voodoo. It feels like witchcraft. The Lowry it thing feels is, like blood magic. Like you can point to the undrafted guys with Miami. It's the Lowry part of this that I think is the most shocking. And the fact that Duncan Robinson was pretty uh, effective in the first couple series. He didn't really play much last night, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they expected it, but it, it's working. Um, so, but the other part of this with Pritchard is like Derek white was getting blown by or overpowered by, yeah. by Jimmy. So it's like, are you benching Derek white? Like, no, I mean, you, so you sort of have to like, you're, you're, you're stuck with what you got. I, I think the Grant Williams part to me is it might allow it. It, I would like to see if he could play against Bam directly. And maybe that would allow you to have Horford and um, and Robert Williams in help a little bit more. Horford is going to be interesting in this series. I, I might, I'm not sure. There might be some games where it's like, can he only be out there when Kevin Love or Cody Zeller are out there? Like, it, can can you even get away with having him on Bam much at all? I'm not sure. But that's that's the that's the problem so i i think that i think that grant williams to me is a a player that you could put out there to potentially do that for you um the other thing that i had in my sort of what what are we looking at going forward thing caleb martin is their best on off guy in the playoffs we knew he would have to be amazing in this series considering the wing depth that boston has and he's one of miami's only non-jimmy wings the somebody that's actually big um Mm -hmm. he was really good in this game made a a three in that third quarter toward the end of their run that just another he had like i I think every three he's made in these playoffs is like a no no yes type of thing where you're just like there's absolutely no way that's going in and then it does can he keep that up that would be a big question for me because they got 30 solid minutes out of him if that doesn't continue if he has a cold shooting night if he does get exploited defensively if he gets into foul trouble which he was verging on doing in this game. Those are all things that I think then you're talking about. Does Duncan Robinson have to play? Who's guarding the the Jays, et cetera. Boston could win this, right? Of course Boston can win this. They have... Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Miami, oh, Miami can win this, right? Yeah. I think they both... Te- I think both teams can win it. Um, the other part is... 
if Jalen Brown is actually seriously hampered by this hand injury, yeah. which it certainly seemed like he was. I mean, he had six turnovers, which isn't uncharacteristic for him, but it, it is a lot and was missing a lot of shots. He had a couple that he it just felt like he was throwing like a, I don't even know, like a, a Frisbee at the, at the basket, uh, just like <laughs> rocket ship that just collided with the rim and, and went nowhere, like awful shots. So, uh, that indicates to me that that something's off just as much as the turnovers. Uh, I think I think Miami could absolutely win this. Yeah, yeah. I I've the, the one on this. The, this is the Jalen Brown quote that I just can't can't stop thinking about. It's a choice. It's a decision. Just come out and play with a different mentality. I mean, we came out too cool. Like it was almost just like we was playing a regular season game. It's the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, come on, we got to play with more intensity than we did today, and we just got to be better, including me. Just. I, I, it's wild. Things you probably to see shouldn't these. be saying in mid-May, right? Things you probably shouldn't be saying and shouldn't feel like kind of a somewhat defining characteristics of your team in some way. Weird. Do you stuff. think Miami will win? Who do you think will win? I mean, I know we're we're gonna I, we could do that after every game and overreact, but like, did last night change I, anything about like, okay, this is a different series than I thought? No, I still think Boston is better and will win, but. Like, is it going to go seven? I think probably. Big series for Tatum, like you said. Full circle there, but, you know, he's yeah. he's the best player on the court, even even with how gr- good Jimmy's been. I, I think Tatum has the most ways to impact the game, considering what he can do as a, as a shooter, um, the size that he has, everything else. So he's at least as good a, as Jimmy, if not has the potential to be even better, and he has to do that because... This Heat team, for whatever reason, feels like it's it's gelling even better than it was last year. So uh, <laughs> they already took them to seven. We'll see what happens. And it, yeah, like if any team is going to know that what Miami can be in these settings, it probably should have just been the Celtics already. So, all right. Thanks again to Sabrina Merchant. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for producing. Thanks again to you, Brendan, for being an awesome co-host. Thanks to you for uh, saying that, I guess. I don't know. We're just throwing thank yous around. Thanks to Dylan. Thanks to Jake. Thanks to Sabrina from me as well. Yeah. All right. We'll be back on Monday after more playoff basketball. Get into the nitty gritty. We'll see where these series go between now and then. Have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy the hoops. Hoops.